We have been working on a series of the kingdom, kingdom of God. And we, today we want to talk about kingdom love. And we're going to take our passage from Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your scripts, or you've got your phones or whatever uh, you're using to follow along, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37 this morning. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is a very profound question. Think about it. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever asked that question? Assuming, this assumes that there is eternal life. That there's life after death. And it goes on forever and ever and ever. So, what was Jesus' response? His response was, what does the Bible say? How do you read it? He wanted to ask this scholar what he understood from the Old Testament. And this man responded with what we call the greatest commandment. He's answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where it says there, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. There it says, part of that verse says, love your neighbor as yourself. He was putting two themes together from the Old Testament into one response. Now, can we say that truly, without any kind of reservation, that we are obeying these two commands? And if not, why not? Jesus replied to the man, you have answered correctly. Do that or do this and you will live. So he was affirming this man that he had answered well. But the man wasn't, still wasn't quite sure. And he responded perhaps in an attempt to trap Jesus into an argument on how to interpret the neighbor, but he also recognized that eternal life wasn't cheap. It was difficult. How do we love our neighbors? 
And so in verse 29, it says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now the tables are turned a little bit here because he probably knows that he's not perfect himself. And uh, he seeks to justify himself. He wanted to understand clearer who his neighbor might be. And in, the Jews had interpreted this to be just fellow Jews. But Jesus sees a bigger picture from this verse in Leviticus. And he sees that neighbors are all people living in our global village. God had told Abraham that in him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And this means that the, the Jews were supposed to take care and proclaim the gospel, the good news about God, to the world. This included all the Gentiles, our global village today. In our age of injustice, exploitation, and inequality, we need to remember that God created all men equal. All men were made in his image. There is no difference between people in God's eyes. No one is inferior or to be despised or looked down on. They all need to understand who Jesus is and that Jesus came to die for them and forgive their sins. Love should be shown to all people. And that takes us to the parable that Jesus told to explain the need for caring for others in our global village. Now the road between Jerusalem and Jericho went down a winding mountain path for 17 miles from Jerusalem, which is 2,300 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which was on the shore of the Jordan River, which flowed into the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level. So there's a descent of about 3,600 feet. Now, to put that in perspective, in 17 miles. Now, putting that in perspective, I looked up Leamington, and Leamington is at 680 feet above sea level. So we're 680 feet above the Atlantic Ocean, which, was, which is 1,800 kilometers away. So, yeah, it goes up and down along the way, but it, it, it's really, we're not that, that high in relative, relative to the difference between Jerusalem and Jericho. So many Jews traveled from Galilee in the north along the east side of the Jordan River. They did that three times a year to go to the festivals and religious ceremonies in Jerusalem because they didn't want to pass 
through Samaria. The Samaritans were considered pagans by the Jews because they had intermarried with unbelievers, with Gentiles, and they had set up their own religious system at Mount Gerizim so that the people would not go down to Jerusalem as God had commanded to do their sacrifices and enjoy the festivals. So as this man was traveling down this narrow, dangerous path, robbers attacked this lone stranger, lone traveler, leaving him stripped of clothes and half dead. You know, the robbers often left people lying on the side of the road as decoys to lure other people into helping this distraught individual, an injured uh, person, and then they would attack the person that's even helping him. So Jesus sets up this story with a priest passing by this injured man. Perhaps the man of the law would understand why the priest would not stop and help this poor man who is dying here. The priests in Jesus' day would go to the temple and once week a year, he was given the opportunity to serve the Lord in the temple. Now, according to Levitical law, the Old Testament, if he touched a dead person or even blood, he would be unclean. And he would not be able to serve the Lord for seven days. So if the priest had actually helped this wounded man, he would be sacrificing his opportunity to serve the Lord in the temple. because he had to be unclean for a week. And that time, then his term of service was over. He'd have to go home. So why would he want to touch someone and give up that great opportunity of serving God? Well, we know why. Likewise, a Levite was on the way to the temple to serve God. He couldn't take a chance on being attacked or becoming unclean. Could you imagine carrying a wounded individual back up the hill? And I'm sure that this man didn't want to get caught by nightfall on this dangerous hillside. So he rushed past, fearful of the bandits. Next came along a Samaritan businessman who stopped and treated this man's wounds. He hoisted him up on his donkey, and now he would have to walk down the hill, keeping the man safe. After they arrived at the bottom of this rocky path in Jericho, they stopped at an inn for night. The businessman told the innkeeper, to care for the man. And he gave him two denarii. Now, a, one denarius is about 
a day's wage in those days. So it was like two days' work. And the Samaritan said that if it wouldn't be enough for the man to recover, then he was willing to even pay more if necessary when he returned that way in the future. We can see that the priest and the Levite didn't have compassion, didn't have mercy. They were preoccupied with their purity and their jobs. They had no time for people. And I reflected on this, I I thought, well, how many ministers, priests or church leaders are so busy keeping up the program that they don't have time for people in need? What would happen if, if I didn't show up this morning to preach because I had stopped to help somebody change a flat tire or something like that? You'd all be wondering, what is he up to? How come he's not coming? We'd all get anxious. We've got to keep the program mowing. It's got to be smooth. But what's more important? People or a program? How many people are reaching out to people in need? I understand that Pastor Jake is doing that this morning while I'm preaching here. We may just be ordinary Christians, just like the Samaritan was an ordinary person. But can we see the needs of the people around us like that Samaritan man did? You know, we went to seminary in California, and at the beginning of the school year, the whole student body went up to Heartland Bible Camp, way up in the mountains, for an orientation retreat. Um, That year, we took four girls with us in our camperized van, who would be helping doing all the babysitting for the seminary couples. Uh, Halfway up or so, up this mountain, it was a steep mountain uh, road. Uh, We saw a couple cars along the way, and in those days, you know, people had problems. The air was getting, you know, thinner up there, and cars would overheat very regularly in those days. And so we had stopped. We helped a couple uh, cars along the way uh, because we had water in our camperized van. And so we shared some of that along the way. And then um, as we kept on going, we saw uh, another man standing beside his car. So we pulled over and we discovered it was a fellow seminary student And his car had just given up the ghost with steam pouring out of his radiator. Probably no longer usable. So we put all their stuff, and Lydia recorded this way back in those days, writing letters to her folks and stuff. Uh, We put all their stuff from the car into our van, 
It included things like a high chair, a playpen, ice chest, luggage, and other stuff, besides the three or four extra people that were in their car as well. So we were pretty crowded. But then we realized that God had provided our van for more reasons than just to enjoy for ourselves. How do you think we would have felt if we had not stopped and then later on found out that we were unwilling to help a fellow student in distress because we were in a hurry? We had to set up for the retreat as we had organizational responsibilities at the retreat itself. I can remember a time when I was 17 or so. I had gone to a spiritual weekend retreat in Kitchener area, and my folks had lent me their car. Well, on the way back, on a Sunday afternoon, all of a sudden the universal joint on my drive shaft went. It was a thump, 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 thump. And uh, we kind of wondered what was going on. And uh, another fellow pulled over, and this was back in the 60s. And cell phones didn't exist, but some people had radio phones in their car. And this guy had a radio phone. So he called CAA for us and had us towed to a garage where there was a mechanic on duty, and we were able to get parts, and we were actually able to get home that night. I wanted to give this roadside helper something for his kindness, but he said, just pass it on. I did that 10 years later for our seminary student friend, and I've done that numerous times as well. Getting back to our text, in verse 36, Jesus asked the expert of the law, Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? He replied, the one who had mercy on him. Notice that this guy didn't say the Samaritan man was his neighbor. He wasn't ever even able to say A Samaritan man helped him. He had that much prejudice in his heart. So, sometimes we have experiences where God shows his mercy on us through others that we don't deserve. We have experiences like the man on the roadside beaten and bruised, left to die on our own, and then God comes to our rescue. Do you have mercy on those who are hurting? Do you try to understand them? It's a question that I wrestle with. How self-centered am I? How self-focused am I? 
You know, compassion is not good enough if we don't follow through by action. James says that faith without works is dead. James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Jesus told the man to go and do likewise, like the Samaritan man had. And you know, there's a lot of people who have helped others over the centuries. They've been done good to many around them. Some people have arisen from the ash heaps of poverty with the help of obscure people who then, these people go on to help others. One such man that uh, there was a movie made of a few years ago was Charles Mully. He was a six-year-old boy in Kenya who was abandoned by his family and left to raise himself in the streets of Nairobi. As a young teen, he was taken in by a family who allowed him to prosper and started his, he started his own business. Charles Mully became a wealthy businessman. But then God prompted him to do something dangerous. He felt God's call for, to go back to the street kids and help them. He would go back at night, just like if they knew that he was a wealthy guy, they might attack him and um, kill him for the money that he had in his pocket. One by one, he began to bring the children home, and he taught them how to live a normal life. But his family life was far from normal. His family grew. And at the time of the movie, when the movie was made, he had adopted over 12,000 street kids and helped them to get established in life. God has blessed him extensively. And if you want to see that movie, it's, it's in the library. It's very inspiring, very encouraging. So what is our global village? Is it family? Is it church people? Maybe other Mennonites? Community people? Anyone in need or hurting? Is it brothers and sisters? in other countries like Nicaragua. Right now, our Nicaragua brothers and sisters in the EMC conference there are really struggling. Nicaragua's gone under a very political, social unrest for the last couple years, and now with COVID, devastating hundreds of people killing, uh, dying, um, there's a real need for help. People are not working. It's very difficult. Maybe we want to help support Benny and Esther Fair. We saw their, uh, their video a couple weeks ago. 
working in Bolivia with the Mennonite colonies there. Who is God laying on your heart to help? We all can help someone. The world needs people who want to help others. Sharing the good news of Jesus is the best way to bring uh, hope and peace and love to other people. Our verse today we want to focus on is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus said to the man who asked him that question, who is my neighbor? He said, go and do likewise. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray that we can see the needs of people around us. Help us not to be so self-focused that, and so busy in our own little lives that we miss out on the great adventure that you want, to us, want us to enjoy. The adventure of of seeing lives changed, the adventure of, of seeing others touched, encouraged, and strengthened. And knowing that we could be a part of that is so exciting. Help us, Lord, to see as you see. Help us to serve those who are hurt, wounded, and dying. Touch our lives, Lord, and make us a blessing. Amen.